This week, I am excited to be joined by DM from Disco Does D&D and Star Trek Discovery favourite, Noah Averbuck katz He's here to talk all about creating your own player character lore and working with your DM to make sure it is the best backstory it can be. Welcome to We Speak Common. Hello and welcome to another episode of the D&D podcast for everyone because here we speak common. This is the D&D show brought to you in partnership with the Dice Dungeon who are the wonderful UK purveyors of pristine and epic D&D dice. You can get 10% off with the code we speak common at checkout or follow the link in the description below and it's also brought to you in partnership with Describe. Describe spelled D-S-C-R-Y-B offers over 1400 scenes of places, monsters, spells and a growing collection. Uh, they are just like box text from your favourite adventure book, but designed to be read aloud in your own campaign, so you can free your creative energy and time for the other aspects of planning. Uh, you can visit describe.com, that's D-S-C-R-Y-B.com, and use the code COMMON for 10% on your checkout, or follow the link in the description below. And of course, as ever, I will shamelessly try and sell those products to my guest at some point during the episode, so try to look out for that. Of course, we have wonderful patrons who support the show and get involved in the Discord server. If you want to know more about that, there's info below as well. Right now, though, more importantly than anything, I want to talk to my new best friend, Noah. How you doing, bud? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm excited. That's a new sponsor. I don't think I'd heard that one before. And oh. now I'm like, well, like, can we please pause the recording so I can go <laughs> look at this? Because I right before this, I was sitting in my computer, you know, writing for the next session. And I'm like, the ground is muddy and the rocks are <laughs> shiny. And I'm just like, somebody do this for me. So I'm basically sold on that. Well, I tell you what, later on, when I try and shamelessly plug it to you, I will, I'll mm-hmm. give you a, a proper hands-on experience. I'll find one of their box texts and read it to you. Amazing. I love it. I love it. Uh, uh, I love it. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me, Ben. Uh, long-time listener, first-time guest. So mm. uh, it, is, it is my pleasure to be joining you today. Hey, mine too. I think we're going to have a lot of fun here today. Um, before we, we jump into today's topic, uh, how may people know you? Yes. Yeah, so basically, I am the nerd crossover from like space science fiction nerd into high fantasy nerd. Uh, I am a big Star Trek fan who uh, was married into the Star Trek family. I'm married to Mary Wiseman, who plays uh, Sylvia Tilly on Star Trek Discovery. And uh, this past season, season three, I played the character of Rin in Star Trek Discovery. But that's not really important. What's most important is that I run a Dungeons & Dragons game uh, you know, hashtag Disco Does D&D with some of the cast members from Star Trek Discovery uh, finally completing, you know, the crossover that everybody uh, didn't want and is confused <laughs> why it's happening. But uh, yeah, you know, I've, I've that's sort of my my little genre crossover and my uh, my addition to the D&D community is, is bringing some sci-fi nerds over to uh, Dungeons and Dragons and the other way around. Yeah, I love it. I love it so much. And uh, I'm going to try and make your cheeks go red because I 
read a little a little article about you being a fan favorite on Star Trek Discovery as well. So, I mean, let's, let's I'm not really be too trying humble, to, Noah. I'm trying to convince people that they like me, and I think it might be working, but it's basically just, you know, begging people on Twitter to like, like me and be my friend, and I'll yeah. do whatever you want. Oh, I need some tips on that. I've got to grow that follow account. So uh, however you're doing that, just I'll take some notes later, please. Thank you. Fantastic. Fantastic. Actually, I have a I have a bizarre question that kind of links into the next thing. But just because it's such a weird melding of genres with high fantasy and, and like space operas in a way. Mm-hmm. Have you ever got into Spelljammer, which is like the D&D equivalent of that? Yes. You know, I I've never really... I've never played Spelljammer, but I've done a lot of like looking into it, you know, mm-hmm. and and sort of this trying to like figure out more about it. I hope that they kind of put out a Spelljammer, uh, you know, like like source book or or whatever guidebook because it's super interesting, and I also think it really like sort of breaks up the sort of travel monotony in such a fun way you know Mm -hmm. because as opposed to like in D &D where it's like you're walking on the road and there's a forest and then you know the monster jumps out of the forest it's like really being in the depths of space makes every encounter you have like really really exciting and memorable and important because you don't know when you'll encounter something again um and i just love like you know the the spell jammer of idea of sort of like sitting in your chair and then blasting arcane energy through your body and blasting through you know the plane system or whatever i think it's super cool um you know it's funny because playing with playing the actual game with people who are like on set on a spaceship all day and have to do techno babble all day a lot of people ask them like oh would you ever you know play a a Star Trek role-playing game because there's this awesome Star Trek tabletop RPG called Star Trek Adventures. And they're mm-hmm. all just like, absolutely not. I don't <laughs> want to be on a spaceship. I want to be like riding a horse with a sword and, yeah. you know, shooting my bow into the into the sky as the sh- sun shines down upon me. So uh, I would play Spelljammer. I, don't, I think my group would all be like, oh, my God, I need to get back into nature. Enough of this. <laughs> I totally get it. I'm I'm the same. I've never played a game, but I've done a lot of research. And bless her heart, my girlfriend has had to withdraw uh, with um, withstand me sort of just babbling things about dwarven citadels <laughs> and phlogiston and crystal spheres for for hours and hours because I'm so intrigued. And I actually I started. I'm like halfway through writing my own sort of personal campaign guide for it. Um, Amazing. And I'm I'm. I, I'm the same. Like I really want wizards to put something out, but I'm also like, oh, don't, because like all that work. But <laughs> we'll see. Well, well, I'll I'll be happy to guest on that as you know whatever space creature you need me to, since I'm well I'm well versed in in that world. Yeah, you're a pro at this point. Hey, it could happen. <laughs> it, it could happen. I have I have dreams that a spelljammer game will come apart, but unfortunately, I have lots of other games <laughs> I need to yeah, run you're, first. You happen to be a busy guy. I hope they do spelljammer. You know, there's all this sort of talk around dragon lace, so it oh, sort of yeah, feels yeah. like that's what they're putting their energy into. But I do think spelljammer is on their radar. Mm, 100% I mean only time will tell um, but I will I will keep my fingers tightly crossed so we're talking today about I mean this is a legends and lore episode which usually I mean in the past I think there's only been one so far but I've set the precedent that this will be about character lore or, or location lore or monster lore and I thought well one of the best things about D&D is creating your own adventure and seeing as you are a pro at putting on other people's skin <laughs> Uh, I want to talk today about creating your own character lore. So 
the backstory crafting, making it believable, getting into it, mixing it mm-hmm. into the story, both DM and player side, and mm-hmm. and really getting to like the the story side of it. So I'm I'm super hyped for this because I I like to imagine that in a world where I didn't fall in love with D and D, I just write books, but instead I I write D and D campaigns. Um, so this is my jam, and I'm hoping that it is your jam too. Well, it's the perfect thing because I feel like the more characters, both as a player that I create and as a DM that I sort of, you know, especially leading new players on character creation, it becomes more of an actor's exercise more and more and less of a writer's exercise because you are, you know, you're not, you don't, you're not in control of the story. You're in control of where it starts a little bit and then you sort of have to go from there. So I'm, I'm really excited about this topic. Yeah, I agree. And it, it, as I say, whenever I try to describe D&D or, or give a an elevator pitch in a way, collaborative storytelling is, is the phrase I always go for. Um, mm-hmm. My, okay, well, I'm a bit of a drama kid. Um, <laughs> like I, I wanted to be an actor and then I sort of gave up and decided I didn't like being on, <laughs> on camera. So I, I sat behind a microphone instead. Um, so I'm no stranger to sort of getting into character and, and thinking up stories and things. But for people who I think don't do that kind of thing, like I'm, I'm trying to think of a good way to explain it. For me, whenever I invite someone onto the show who's never sat in front of a microphone before, they always go, oh, how do you do it? And I'm like, well, you just kind of talk like it's easy. Mm-hmm. And I think for people who come up with stories and, and ideas and, <clears throat> and narratives, they're like, well, I just come up with a backstory. So when you're <laughs> looking at your character or you're looking at your stats or whatever you've got, your, your one idea, like with my character Orlo, it was, well, he's got one arm. Like I've got that mm. one thing. Where do you go next to build out well, that that history? Yeah, that's such a good question. You know, I think the first thing is like, where do you start? You know what I mean? Uh, like, do, how how do you kind of get in and get yourself excited about it? And I think you know, I think we're really talking about new players a lot because at some point when you've been playing a lot you kind of know how to create a character and and you can do something as an experienced player which you can't as a new player which is say like well i really want to play a you know a wizard who maybe multi-classes at some point and is like doing you know maybe i'll throw some blade song in there whatever and then i'll build a character lore around that Mm. Uh, but you can't really do that as a new player because you don't really know how those things work um, and so you do kind of have to find your way in. And for example, it's like, you know, my character doesn't have an arm or something like that. And I think, you know, the best place to start is just like when you close your eyes and you imagine yourself in this setting, you can just start to see it. You know what I mean? Like, what do you look like? What are you holding? Where are you? And mm. I, I think, you know, what people sort of assume is that we all close our eyes and see the same thing. You know, we all see ourselves holding a broadsword with the sparkling armor in a city. But when you ask three different people, you realize very quickly, it's like, oh, wait a second. Like, that person decided to have blue skin, and this person's in a town, and this mm. person's on a mountain. And so I think just, you know, really checking in with yourself and being like, what what sounds exciting when I imagine it? As opposed to being like, well, I know it's D&D, so like I need to have an axe, so I'm having an axe and build around that. Yeah, I think, I always think of that, I don't know if it was a, a meme or, or, or a genuine statement, but it, it was kind of a joke, but it always starts off like your first character is fantasy you, 
just how you would want to be. And then the <laughs> yes. second character is like fantasy you, but slightly different. And then the third one is like fantasy you, but gender swapped. And then the last one's like space pirate with a sword for an and. And, <laughs> and it's like, it's like that sort of it's development perfect. where you, you just get a little bit more, you get out of your safe zone the more you do it. Um, and and you, I, you know, it's interesting too, because because it is, you know, every time it really is a part of you that you're bringing to it. I think a lot of time new players and experienced players are like, well, I'm going to play, you know, I'm a really fun, happy-go-lucky, you know, uh, high-energy guy, and I'm going to play somebody super low-energy who's like, mm-hmm. you know, really, really down. And you can find yourself like pushing, you, your your personality just sort of pokes through in a way you can't even really control it. It's so hard to create a character that like yourself doesn't shine through, which is, you know, really true for acting. It's like you actually just have to bring those parts of yourself uh, to your character. So, you know, when building that character, it's okay to be like, you know, I am this person, this is who I am in real life, and I'm going to bring some of that to the character. Yeah, 100%. My friend said to me the other day, Sam, he he said, it's always funny watching you play in a game where you're a character and Phoebe, my other half, has a character because you always end up having a crush on her. And I'm always like, Ben, (laughs) your Ben is showing (laughs) through your character. Oh, that's really funny. That's Um, really funny. Things like that. And like my, I've got two characters that I play regularly at the moment and they both kind of, I've realized they both have one of the very similar fears. Like they're both motivated by very similar things and i didn't even realize that when i drew them up or or invented them that wasn't something i was i was planning on doing it just kind of naturally came about um so you know and it's it's strange too because i feel like when you're making your second character there's like such a pressure to do something totally different but it's Mm. not like you have less fun playing the second character even though they just happen to be similar you know yeah yeah 100 percent. and like i've i've done some drastically different characters like i've played a human wizard and then a you know a, a an elf barbarian like or a, or a mouse folk ranger like you i've done the um the drastic changes mm-hmm. and i always find myself going for those sort of cornerstone techniques in building them i, I talked i th- i'm not sure if it was last week or the week before um but about the 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 cornerstones of the ideals and the and the fears and the wants and and building a character around that and i always find myself using those techniques even if the character comes mm-hmm. out slightly different or slightly different or drastically different it's still going to have as much fun in there um and i find as well it depends on the person but if i'm if i've just played a human who's from a city and now i'm going to play a little gnome from the forest writing a backstory for those two drastically different characters then becomes more enticing to me because they are so drastically different but sometimes i'm like oh okay well, i've just played a character who lives in the city and now i'm going to write a backstory for a character who also lives in the similar city then it's like <laughs> well how do i make it different enough like yeah, what's in yeah. the same setting like what's another like it's like what's the different path that this character could have con- uh, gone down um and that's yeah. a lot of fun for me it's um it's like a a nice brain teaser <laughs> in a way yeah you know it, it's it it really is a creative exercise and i think like it sort of leads you in you know there's sort of two ends of it which is like you know okay you're a player and you're you know creating it but you also you know have to deeply collaborate with your dungeon master so that you guys can kind of be on the same team when you're when you're telling the story and i think some people can get a little frustrated by that you know i want to be able to do this or i want them to be like this and the dm's like well you know 
you know, we're not going to be in the mountains, so all your mountain climbing gear, like, isn't really going to be super useful or whatever it is, you know. But I actually think that because character creation is such a blank canvas, you know, you can really do anything that having that structure, having a, a really specific goals, uh, both, you know, as a player when you're when you're creating your character, but also as a DM to give really, really clear guidelines, which is essentially, you know, session zero kind of stuff it, yeah. it can be really really helpful to help especially new pr- players make uh, a, a backstory and a character that really fits in the world and that they have fun playing mm. i find that my like the most fun for me uh, i as a, as a dm i i quite like to like my goal the thing that i feel like i'm good at doing is taking my character backstories and really making them part of the story specifically weaving them into the story that already exists if it's like a written campaign so like with dragon heist or Nation or frostmaiden or whatever the fun thing for me is how am i going to take the story that this player has presented to me and make that relevant and connected to the story that's being told in this adventure so that it it all feeds in without me saying okay just change this and change that and rewrite that because that's that's kind of like that's the creative exercise too but then when i'm the player being able to go to a DM and say, do you know what? I've played a lot of characters or I've, I've, you know, I haven't played a character while I haven't got an idea. Just give me something and I'll run with it. And I find the mm. most fun is when like Sam's running a one shot for, for a few friends soon. And he said, Oh, I'm not really sure what character you want to play. And I said, well, I don't know. I don't really have any ideas. Um, so if there's a role that you need to fill for the story, give me that. And like I That's will have awesome. the f- I'll have the fun in in being that part of the story rather than telling my own story. Um, and I That's find such that a a lot I've of never fun. done that. That's so cool because it really frees you from having to like be be true to whatever idea you had before you started. You can really just be like, no, this is just who I am, and I can be a jerk or be awesome or do whatever the mm-hmm. hell I want because I'm not like writing myself as a great hero and then backtracking on it or having to like uphold it it's just like no this is just who i am that's super fun i'm gonna have to try that one of the most fun times i've had as a player was when sam invited me into his ongoing campaign he said i need someone to he said i've got i've got this npc and i need it to be like badass and i need it to be strong but i I don't really know how to do it and i said well i can help you build it as a player character so that it's it feels a bit more special if you like and we built this character up and then he said do you want to run it <laughs> and like joining <laughs> that game and like sitting there for like the half hour while the group was doing their thing waiting for the introduction and then revealing myself as another pc's brother who was an npc they'd met maybe once before like and being able to take all the notes that sam had written and take that off his hands and run it was so much fun because i was sort of given this i basically like given a role to play and fulfill mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. And and because the law awesome. was already there, it's like, oh, I can just... I'm like, Sam, do I know this? And he's like, yes, you know that. I'm like, good, <laughs> okay, <laughs> on I go. Um, so that that's a lot of fun for me. I think I absolutely um, encourage giving it a go, by the way, like 100%. And it, and I'm going to have to try that for sure. As a DM as well, like bring someone in as an NPC because it always brings um, a, a, at least a satisfying reaction. Like if it's a... Yeah an enemy yeah uh, that's a very different reaction from your players to if they are playing um a an, an ally i had someone join a game and play as the black staff for a session and the whole wow. like half hour up to the introduction 
was the the players sitting there going like who are you playing when are you joining (laughs) and then when they found out like oh my god that one of my favorite tabletop like tabletop moments ever um so yeah i definitely do that 100 percent. that's awesome i love that yeah i'm stealing that for guests too well look i've given you that idea now so i think i have to guest and do that for you i think that's the rule (laughs) and i don't (laughs) i don't make the rules up noah okay i just enforce i guess i just made the rules so there you go yeah there we go um but yeah 100 percent, a lot of fun definitely do that so um with i think i think it is more player based this topic but okay there is a lot of dm stuff in here too because i think a lot of the a lot of the process is a two-person process it has to be with yeah. the player and the dm and you have to be open to to changing things but with writing character law where is your where do you start because for me i have done i I tend to try and shy away especially if i'm doing a low level character i tend to shy away from anything that's already like i've been an adventurer for x amount Mm -hmm. of years um Mm -hmm. so like with orlo he was a farmhand and he lost his arm in an accident in the mill like that would and you know because magic exists he learned a little bit of magic so that he could use a mage arm and then that sort of started him off on that that journey and it was a very mundane story but it left a lot open and it meant that i could sit down with the dm and say okay where am i from what is that village like what yeah. do they trade in um you know what was my life like are we rich are we poor like that kind of stuff and that made it a lot easier for me but i find that that works really well if you're in a an established setting. Um, right. And when your DM says, I've got this cool homebrew game and I want you to make a character, like maybe you're already an adventuring group or you're not, like come in with a bit of history, gauging that kind of like, well, wh- am I am I famous? Am I known? Have I nearly died? Yeah, Have yeah. I fought a dragon before? Like where do you, where does your pin, your dart fr- land when you throw it and try and sort of move out from there? It's interesting because, like, I think what you have is, like, the perfect thing where it's like, all right, well, I'm either somebody who's unknown or sort of knows everything, and it's so hard to sort of, like, strike that balance, you know? Mm. I'm playing a character who is, like, I started out very well known in this world, and I think what was actually really helpful for me was finding people in, like, the real world who sort of, like, represent that person or who, like, I can base off that person. And so I can go to my DM and say, like, hey, like, I want to play somebody like this religious figure or like this entertainer, you know, somebody who the DM and you can look at and be like, all right, well, you would have this, you know, level of knowledge about the world or knowledge about the other people of the world, but you wouldn't have these other, you know, physical skills or magic skills in in this sort of homebrew world. And you can almost use real people as a beginning template, you know, Mm -hmm. and you can use that to also build out their personality too, because especially when you're talking about uh, celebrities, you know, there's so much negative information out there too, where you can really (laughs) feed that in, you know, so you can... Uh, look to the real world and use that as a place where you and your dm can say all right you have this you don't have that yeah yeah 100 percent. and i suppose it sounds a little bit eye-rolly when i say it out loud but you can use fictional characters too in that way i suppose mm, definitely, i mean you don't definitely. you don't ever want anyone turning up to your high fantasy game and be like hey i'm gonna be darth vader but like it's me frodo yeah yeah exactly but <laughs> there's that archetype there and you can absolutely 
Easily, yeah. I mean, if if a player came up to me and said, "I've been reading, I've been rereading the Hobbit. I really want to play Frodo," be like, "Okay, so you're a halfling. What else? <laughs> like, right, right. What else do I need well, to know?" You, here? But you can also, you know, it's also like you can you can take things away from that character. You know, you can say, "Well, look, like you don't have this uncle who went on your adventure. Uh, you're actually like just a halfling in this town who like has a box with something magic in it. You know, you don't know mm-hmm. the wizard, but instead of knowing Gandalf, you know, like a really good." Uh, powerful person who works at your bar you know so you can almost you can you can sort of replace things that sort of are a little too on the nose with stuff that you can kind of make up on your own so that way you're also not having to make something completely from scratch yeah i actually think that's probably a better way of of replicating something that you've already seen that you want to be because i if i sit down personally and i go okay i want to play you know the mandalorian like I want to be that cool bounty hunter <laughs> that everybody knows who's a little yeah. bit special. Um, yeah, I'm gonna end up either falling really far from the mark and not being satisfied in that kind of hero complex that right. I'm trying to build for myself, or I'm just gonna be the Mandalorian and then it's not my own character. Right. Whereas if you take the Mandalorian, you go, okay, well, I really like the concept, so I'm gonna keep that he's a bounty hunter, but he's not renowned for it he's just died out he hasn't got cool armor um and he doesn't know his he does know his parents or something you know he's he's got a good upbringing (laughs) he wasn't he wasn't a foundling yeah um yeah that's that's a nice way to kind of take that that template and just pull bits away to make it enough of a unique character that you can then add your own spin on it as you go I also think it sort of brings up one thing that's really important for lore, which I think is a little, I don't know, people might not like it, but the idea that kind of less is more sometimes, you know, in terms of like the bigger, you know, events in your life or the little things, you know, sometimes just like having a little bit less and not writing that 12 page backstory gives you the room to step in as, you know, the proto Mandalorian and then create your own version, which is really what you want. You know, you don't want to play the Mandalorian. You just can watch that on TV. You want to play your version of it. But in order to do that, you do have to kind of like strip some stuff away. But what's great about that is then you're all, you can fill it in later as the story progresses. So sometimes it is really enticing to, you know, write out every detail of everything that's happened in your life and all the good times and the bad times. And sometimes that's awesome. You know, like one of my players sort of, just like he used to be in this, uh, you know, traveling actor troupe. And he wrote up backstories for all these characters and everyone he meets. And and that's great. It's like this little pocket of information that I can dip into when I need. Um, but the other times it really can free you up to say, you know, I don't know how this kind of happened. I just have a general idea of like, you know, I I had to run away from home. And mm. you don't have to write every stop along the way as long as you sort of keep that with you and you can then build forward off of that. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I I mean, personally, I know a couple of players that they often say, oh, coming up with that character is, is the toughest part for me. But then, mm. you know, two or three sessions into the campaign, they go, okay, I've I've got it now. Like I've, I've been in their shoes for a, a good time 12 hours at this point like i i know what i need to fill in um yes and i mean exactly. i've i've had as well where uh even players have said to me i've got this character and i've got the concept but it's changed and things aren't quite right and i'm not really sure like what happened in their past and i've said well let's 
let's do a little session on it. Like you and I and yeah. one other player will do a fun little one shot where you play your character from previously to the campaign and we can just explore what happens. And if you like it, great, you can use it. If you don't, it, we just had a bit of fun and we can forget about it all in the universe, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and that that can really help, like actually sitting down and playing through it can really help. But also actively being that character for a couple of sessions with a bit of a vague yeah. backstory can really sort of cement things in for you. And it can also really tell you where it's like, oh, I thought this was a good idea when I'm writing it. But now that I'm playing this character, like I hate this backstory piece that I wrote. I hate that my mom said or I hate that I, you know, have this scar. Can I like rework this or can we revisit it in a session or two? You know, not feeling like you're so tied to your sort of lore document is is a really, really freeing way to go. And it allows your character to like grow and change as you move through the campaign, which is really what it's all about. And I don't know about you, but I always get that kind of want, that itch for instant gratification. Whenever I go a new character, I in the first session, I'm like, okay, who's going to ask me questions so I can tell you my fun backstory? Yeah, but yeah, I've yeah. got yeah. players now <laughs> who are so good at like just keeping it zipped. Like Wes, who was right. on a couple of weeks ago, he's so good at not telling anyone anything except the DM, of course. Yeah, and then yeah. slowly drip feeding it and being his dungeon master and watching him like hint things in the way his character says something or the way he he physically shows something like he turned up to the ship with his sister who you know the characters didn't know he had a sister and they're, they're, they've got this mm. strange like loving relationship and he's not that kind of character and seeing him hint this kind of backstory as he goes is a lot of fun but it also gives him the option if he needs it to come to me at some point and say yo I want to change this. I, I've, I've thought about it. I've sat with it for a bit. I don't like it. And if he hasn't already yeah. given it out, then that's easy for me to then change for him because no one else knows it existed. It gives you that yeah. freedom. It's totally true. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't actually really count until you've like set it at the table. You know, mm. everything else is, it's not there to be a, uh, like a Bible or a guide, which you must stick to. It's something to like propel you forward and that you can check back up on in on and, and just something to kind of like, it's almost like a foundation, which you get to build on, which you don't have to feel married to at all. Mm. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, and I myself certainly do when I've written something, I like to, I like to keep it because I don't want to feel like I've wasted that creative energy. Mm -hmm. I've I feel married to and I feel connected to a lot of the stuff I write and it's it's been a process to kind of disconnect that and remember that oh I can use this somewhere else like with a DM yeah. if you've written a dungeon and the players don't go down there great you can move the dungeon or you can just put it in your book close it up and use it another time in another session or another campaign and it's the same with character stuff if you've got a character you love but they die off early well put them away use them again in a different campaign another time if you really want to get back in their shoes if you've got a bit of yeah. history that you want to change don't delete it just tuck it away somewhere keep it remember it absolutely there's um there's a lot in in character creation like let's not lie it's a it's a whole process um <laughs> it can be daunting sometimes i know that whenever phoebe needs a new character she's like babe give us a hand i'm like all right okay <laughs> let's just block out three hours to go through all your options yeah because um, yeah. we're starting on a blank whiteboard but there is uh there is one thing that that really really helps make that process easier noah and that is a beautiful set of D D dice did you did you know that absolutely you... i okay. did know that in fact 
In fact, I'm going to do something crazy that I don't think has been done on this show before. I currently have on my computer screen in front of me, <gasps> in my cart, on the Dice Dungeon, yes! with the We Speak Common Code. Oh my god. Ready to go. One of my players, uh, Blue, they play an incredible uh, tiefling named Bink. And I think that they need some metal dice. I'm a big okay. fan of giving metal dice to my players. I have the Burning Hand set with the tin in my mm. cart and, you know, in allegiance to the dice d- dungeon and we speak common. I'm going to click that complete order. And, uh, you know, we're going to send some dice on to my, my dear friend, uh, Blue, you live have, on air. You have instantly just become <laughs> the best... The best D and D guest on the show. I mean, I, I I don't think anyone can top that. And can we just confirm I, that uh, that I did not ask you to do that? You didn't ask me to do it. In fact, I think this really means that I just paid you to be on the show, which I'm totally okay with. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think technically it does. <laughs> I was going to make a joke about paying you later, but no, that's that's technically true okay i feel guilty now <laughs> yes that's um, what i wanted i wanted that yeah, so this okay. is going this is going great great so now i have to pay you to be on your show understood okay, exactly I see. I see where exactly. this relationship is going good all right yeah. wonderful um but yes you can get some really really nice dice and the burning hands is a fantastic set i have that set myself i use it oh, only during my uh descent into avernus campaign which is so close to finishing i just um, finished our i just finished descent with my friends uh two days ago oh i need to i need to tell you something then um minor descent spoilers i suppose we there's only three of us in this descent group and we uh-huh. just okay i'm just gonna if you, if you just skip yeah, forward 10 skip seconds forward. like literally like <laughs> t- 20 seconds okay you gone cool uh, we just broke the chains that hold down Elterel. Um, but amazing well yes but did you you broke the chains and then is it just gonna fall (laughs) well apparently we needed something else to help make the city rise and instead it's just Mm -hmm. kind of floating there Um, and apparently james our dm he's like yeah guys i told you this like five times like (laughs) in five different sessions that were spaced apart you definitely wrote it down and we're sitting there like, oh no, oh, it's just floating Amazing. there. Oh no. Amazing. And, and then he describes the, the, the devils and the demons running up there to go and grab people and convert <laughs> them. And, and we, we basically, we doomed them, basically. Also, you basically um, blew it. You basically yeah. played this campaign for a year and totally blew it. It's fine because my character is only there for his own gain anyway. Like it's, you, it, you know, yeah, what happened? If, if the Grand Duke of Baldur's Gate just happens to die in Avernus, that just means that his seat <laughs> is open to be filled, you know? So I love it, that. It, it'll all work out. Um, now that's it, great character lore right there. Oh, Claf Hewn is one of my... Uh, actually, controversial statement, because I really like Warlow, but he might be my favourite character, to be fair. Wow, um, wow. And that's a really good example of of building character lore too. Let's, let's, I need to convince you about Describe before I jump into it. Oh yeah, um, I want to hear about this. But also on a side note, Ben from the Dice Dungeon just messaged me saying that there was a code use in Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's real. I wasn't I wasn't bullshitting. Yep, Your order has gone through. Um, (laughs) So uh, our other partner is Describe, spelled D-S-C-R-Y-B. Describe.com. They are a a really, really cool uh, service where you can go and get box text for your home game written by actual creative writers people who do this stuff for a living 
So if you're really bad at describing things, don't worry, they'll they'll do it for you. Um, there's 10% off if you use the code COMMON on checkout or uh, by following the link below. It's a subscription service. Um, but I'm going to go and grab... What Would you like... Do you want to place a... Do I place a monster or a spell, Noah? What would you like? Uh, give me a place. I feel like the place is okay. where I'm always spending so much time. Okay, let's have a look here. Let's go for... Um, oh, I think I've just clicked on a random one. Okay, uh, it's randomly given me outskirts of a small village. How does that sound? Love it. Okay, so you smell the place before you see it. The unmistakable odour of civilization. Wood smoke, cow dung, and the stink of pigs. You round the bend and see thatched roofs on low buildings scattered around muddy fields. From somewhere on the other side of the village, you hear dogs barking. You know, hearing that, it makes me very angry that I've wasted so much time writing. There's a fence. The fence is five feet tall. In the <laughs> fence, there's a doorway and there is grass. I am yeah. so angry. I haven't heard this before. Uh, I'm going to probably, I'll have to come back on another episode so I can subscribe live on air for that. Oh, we'll, we'll make it happen. Um, it's a really great service. And like, there's, there's a whole bunch of, and by a whole bunch, I mean like thousands of um, free uh, not thousands, hundreds, <laughs> hundreds of free scenes that you can go and grab right now. And Amazing. then there are, of course, the ones that you get by being a uh, subscriber. That then launches you into the thousands. So um, go and have a look. Go check them out. Describe Um Okay, where were we? Clatter Hune and, and his character law. Um, That's right. A fantastic can I, example. Can I just say something Dom. that I really like about this character, just from this little description, which is like, if this Duke dies, that's not a bad thing because I can do this. And what I think, you know, one thing when you're creating character lore that from the actors, from an actor standpoint, that is, you know, sort of basic stuff, but it's it's not about creating personality, but things that you want and how you're going to do them. Because, you know, if you say, I'm going to create a, a character, he's really mean and evil, and he wants, you know, to like be the king, that's fine. But then you're sort of stuck having to play your idea of what mean or evil is as mm. opposed to saying this person wants to be on the throne of Baldur's Gate this person will do x y and z to do that his plan to do that is this this and this then you don't have to worry about whether or not it's evil or good it's just how other people interpret your actions or how you interpret your own actions and especially now you know in 5e where the sort of, you know, lawful, evil, good quadrant has sort of fallen by the wayside and you don't really have to stick so hard to it. You really can free yourself up to make more interesting character decisions and not be beholden by why you think somebody's personality is, but rather by what they do and how they decide to do it. Yeah, 100%. And it, my group has had so many heated debates about the alignment system for literally mm. hours. I, 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 I literally, if you say alignment at our table, um, <laughs> shit hits the fan. But uh, because I, I think it's a very subjective system now. Um, but I, if I get into it, I will never hear the end of it. So um, so with this character, I basically I went to James, my DM, and I said, look, I've, I've got a concept, but I'm not really sure how it's going to fit into the, the adventure. Um, and I, I purposely not read anything. I only knew like the, the basis of the adventure, like, okay, we're going to go to hell and there's going to be like Mad Max Fury Road kind of encounters. Mm -hmm. That's all I knew. I said to him, I don't know how it's going to fit in, but I want the backstory to tie in specifically. So can I give you this concept and then you 
give me some pointers. And he was like, yep, 100% what you got. And my pitch to him was, I want to do the, like, son of the preacher, son of the rabbi at the church, like, meant to be (laughs) the next guy who is, like, the priest, but rebels against his father's wishes, but I wanted to be an evil cult instead of, like, the church. I love that. I love it. And he's like, yeah, that's great. Okay. And, like, do you want to be, like, well-known? Do you want to be, like, a well, like, a big cult? And I was like, I was, I want to be, like, the prodigy. Like, I want to be, like, the the wayward son. So he said, okay, well, there's this, there's this, um, uh, character, uh, linked to a family called the Hewn family who are part of this secret organization who are the um the order of the hidden the knights of the hidden shield is what they're called um and he said there's a very specific plot arc for this one creature character and item that i don't think i'll use unless i build it into your backstory so do you want to do that and i was like yeah 100 percent. so it ended up with this uh hexblade warlock who was a noble son he worked he was he was basically the the son of this cult leader who worshipped the hidden lord who if you know anything about descent is trapped in a shield he has been for years he's a he was once a demigod i think and he's now like a, a pit fiend basically um and i was the kind of guy who would put up his hood go down to the lower city and slum it out in the bars and ignore his responsibilities and just does you know does what he wants does what he needs to to get what he wants um but he's also not a bad guy like he loves the city and he thinks it's a mess and he wants it to be a better place and he knows that one day that will be his responsibility he's terrified of being forgotten when he dies and not leaving behind some sort of mark and he falls in love with everything that moves very quickly like falls head over heels deeply in love with everybody and then falls out of love very quickly as well um so he's got like this really cute like cuddly side but he's also to be honest with you just a dick um but i went to james and i said hey this is this is great what do i like what do i know what do i not know and he said okay so the hidden lord talks to you you're being called by him you're finally going to step up and maybe go and do what the cult wants you to do or maybe you're going to rebel against it completely that's up to you and he's ended up um the start of the adventure starts in Baldur's gate all the way through he had to locate the shield with the with his patron in Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. he found it along the way they he and the the two party members ended up freeing people who were of significance within the city like other uh noblemen and women and he every time he freed them he was like hey when the time comes, remember, it was Claire Hume that saved you. It was me. And they go off on their way. Uh, just so happened that one of the dukes, because there's four dukes, one of them's a grand duke, had uh, died, had been killed by Clath, not not because he <laughs> wanted to take their place, <laughs> because that was part of the plot line. They were, they were very <laughs> evil and doing bad things. Um, and so an election was up and coming. So he was like, well, okay, I guess I'm going to do what I've always been meant to do and I'm going to take over and I'm going to free the the hidden lord from his prison in this shield who he has a direct contact with because he's got the shield on his arm now. Um, and he got elected as a duke. Um, and so he went down to Avernus to help, you know, free Elturel, but also while being there, the idea is that he's going to free Galgath, the hidden lord, like minor spoilers, I guess, and uh, <laughs> and put him in charge of Avernus and then he himself, Clath, will 
become in charge of Baldur's Gate and together they will take over in the sense that they'll make Avernus, they'll win the Blood War. That's the plan. <laughs> Probably not that easy. We'll just win the Blood yeah, War. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. They'll return Avernus into its sprawling, wonderful um, uh, visage of open fields because I don't know if you know this, but it once was a wonderful place. It was once gorgeous and beautiful. Um, we'll do a lore episode on that one day. There and you go. he will make Baldur's Gate like... So the, the the crown jewel of the North is Waterdeep. He wants Baldur's Gate to take that position. So he's going to make Baldur's Gate the best place. And then one by one, layer by layer, they're just going to take over and, and make the world a better place. But they'll do questionable things to, to get it there. Um, I love that. It, I it's love been that. so much fun. Like It's got to the point now where he's just freed the Hidden Lord. And so he's he's devoted himself to him and become a paladin. And all along the way, I Amazing. was like, well, is he going to become a paladin and devote himself to to this pit fiend who might might not be genuine or will he break away and take a level in sorcerer and and feed himself more into that magical power and it's gone the the other way so yeah it's, it was a lot of fun it still i love it because there's just like so much to do you know mm. it's not stuff you have to pretend to be or you know embody you have things you have to do you know and i think so much you know it's sort of character 101 but you learn about a character by what they do you know not about what they say or how they say it or their sort of general attitude but you have real goals to accomplish and that's why it's it sounds like it's so much fun because it's like even if you you know oh well i i freed this guy from his shield and and you know everything's going my way but there's still so much more you have to do it keeps that motor going so Mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense that that would be a really fun character to play and you know that shield is a really powerful shield, so that was fun too. Yeah, it's 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 mentally powerful. Um, <laughs> but to be fair, we had three player characters. Like we got in a lot of trouble. We nearly died quite yeah. a lot. So we we needed we needed that extra buff. But it, our, it's our also... druid had the shield for a while and was very conflicted about it because it's it is very attractive. Oh, it really is. And like that's the thing. I've not really d- like gone into an evil character before. But with Klaaf, I was like, well, he's thinking about himself most of the time and he's thinking about his goal because that will achieve all of his dreams basically make him someone who's remembered and all that kind of stuff and so he's always fed into it and he's it got to the point where he's kind of roped the other two party members into being like acolytes Mm -hmm. of this of this Mm -hmm. pit fiend without them even really realizing it one of them's in a contract with him uh the other (laughs) one is kind of locked into helping everybody to achieve their goals so it's it's been a lot of fun and like because he had those specific things he wanted to achieve that he was working on but because he also had these traits like i knew that he was Mm -hmm. like basically attracted to anything that would move and he fell in love easily um and because i knew that he was selfish and he would always spare his one spell slot for a for a banishment to get himself out of trouble like because (laughs) i had these like traits i could play on those and and use those as the the characterization which then fed back into that backstory it's interesting too because when i'm at the table especially with new players and and we're kind of doing our session zero i say no evil characters Mm. you know you can't write this guy is evil in your description but that doesn't mean your characters can't do quote unquote evil things or be evil you know it's really when you're creating that backstory if you sort of hem yourself in where you're like, you know, you you fill in that sort of upper left quadrant on, you know, lawful evil, then you've really like locked yourself into what you can and can't do, which 
especially, you know, as D&D sort of becomes so much about the story, you know, so much about, you know, building your character with your other players, with your DM, just choosing, you know, I'm going to play an evil character, it automatically puts you at odds with the rest of the characters at the table, usually. Whereas in this example, which I love about it, which is like, he, you know, he has this sort of personality, and the things that they do have made him more and more kind of evil and dark and mm. you know has has sort of drawn his friends in so that you're actually all of a sudden you're playing in an evil campaign and you're all evil and it's just like this great flip and you didn't plan for it that way you know you didn't create a character that's like baldar the destroyer who murders all the innocents <laughs> you yeah. know from the start it's just so much more fun and the complexity of it just makes it really really fun as well the way i like to go about it is that for me it was always he doesn't think of himself as evil he mm-hmm. and and a lot of the party conflict at the start of the adventure was well hang on you've thrown in with devils like mm-hmm. that's clearly that's they're the bad guys and I, and he's there going no devils have order and they have rules and they stick to them like they have to otherwise there are consequences whereas demons are just pure chaos and so he's always thinking well yeah okay i might have to do some questionable things but at the end of the day the the goal justifies the means like i want to do these things to get myself into a position where i can make the place that i love a place that everywhere loves everyone loves and and it's great because it doesn't it also doesn't cut you off from doing something good you know or from even changing your mind and saying oh my god everything i've done is wrong and i have to undo everything that i've done you know which is like so much fun to have to deal with your consequences of of the decisions that you've made 100 percent. we're in a really weird situation now where we're trying to work out like two of the party members want to um what's the right word uh they want to like free the effectively the the big bad evil guy um mm-hmm. whereas he's like no no no, we're just gonna put a sword through her back because that's the <laughs> quickest and safest thing to do like what if she changes her mind and comes back um and what, good luck the, with the, that yeah i know oh <laughs> oh i know my rdm uh loves the mythic actions in theros and he has mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a version of the uh the antagonist as a mythic encounter and we're not gonna we can't there's no way Ouch. we can survive that I but, just finished, so I looked at, at her stat block, and I was like, oh my god, thank mm, god, mm-hmm, thank god. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the problem is that Clap's so foolhardy that he'll he'll try it. He'll, <laughs> he'll do you it. you got to try it. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. He might die. I hope he doesn't, because I, I want to see him all the way through to, to level 20 if I can. But mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. especially now he's becoming a paladin, like, that's a whole new realm for me. Joe would be proud. Absolutely. Uh, he really would be. But if he dies, you know, I mean, I'll never touch Paladin ever again because clearly it's a curse. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just think that like that is such a great example as as to what you can do with your DM and as a DM to take that lack of an idea or just the abundance of idea, that 12 page backstory and and really link it into whatever's happening in the campaign. Because my idea of being this you know, my original pitch of being this wayward son who's meant to be the head of the cult didn't really go the way I thought it would, but it's mm-hmm. so much more unique and so much more fun for me. And I know that nobody else is playing that descent game. No one else is playing that game where 
you know, there's someone who's actually trying to actively free one of the antagonists and then put them in a place of power. That's unique to us. And that's because we took the time to link in our backstories and really write out a law that made sense. And if Klaff does live now, there's this whole thing about him being in charge of this secret organization. Like, what, is he going to have to learn to be a, a, a CEO? Like, <laughs> where does that go? <laughs> you know, so because that's been written into the backstory and that law was thought out, there's so many options on where it could go now. That's awesome. I love that. I'm really excited. I, I could talk about that campaign for uh, for days. And um, I, I literally every session I, I text James, I'm like, James, this is so good. So good. I'm just <laughs> fangirl about it. And I think the others are just <laughs> sick of my fangirling. But, you know, there we go. They're sick of you creating a new corporation of, uh, of cults where you're the CEO and they're like, oh, I guess I just have to work for this guy now. Yeah. And like one of them's actively forced to work for me because of that old that old contract <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's, it's a Amazing. tough life if you're if you're not me i love that <laughs> in that game i love that um but yeah are there any like when you, you do a lot of dming of course are there any things specific hints and tips that you have for linking that lore into the story yeah, you know, in terms of like approaching it from the DM perspective, obviously just giving your your players a general out, you know, it's just like basic session zero stuff of like, here's what you're doing, you know, here's the idea. Um, and But I do think, you know, it's important to not just like get the character story and just be like, yeah, good, let's go. But to really kind of push back on your characters and say like, look, you know, here's something that I'm working on. Can you link in with this? Does this make you excited? Or say like, hey, you know, I had this idea for this town or this character or whatever, but I can change it to fit your idea. Does that work for you? So I think just really being kind of like you were talking about, you know, being in dialogue with your DM saying, you know, uh, or or the, for the DM to be in dialogue with the player and just be like, you know, here are some options that I can give you. And that also as a DM allows you to ha- kind of maintain control over the setting and the story and not just be like, have a character write a full kind of like, and then this is here and this is here and I'm doing this and this is what I know about this. But by saying, you know, like, for example, where it's like, you know, there is this powerful item that I don't know if I'm going to include. Can you sort of build something around it? Mm. I think that's a really good way to do it. And I think, you know, it feels as a DM, sometimes it feels like counterintuitive to push back against a player's idea or put limits on it. But I do think it's really important, especially for new players who sort of don't understand the boundaries of the game yet. You know, for mm. new players, I really, really try and make them make them answer the questions that I'm asking them. So, for example, like I I make it a point to say, like, okay, this is a great this is a great backstory. This is great lore, but I need you to answer the question why you need other people to to deal with your problem. You know, to sort of force them into the corner of like, you need an adventuring a party to play this game. And I need you to kind of grapple with that question. You know, why do you need to be with other people? Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of getting them to engage with, you know, those sorts of questions and like think about it both in terms of like, oh, I'm creating a backstory for a character, but also, you know, I'm creating a foundation to do a group storytelling event. You know, so I have to engage with these other people on uh, in some level, you know, and I have to have a reason, you know, why I'm out here. And it can't just be like, I like fun. 
You know, it can be at some point you're you become familiar enough with D&D where you're just like, no, no, I can just make a character and and I can just have fun. I'll just like sort of build it as I go. But I think for early players, you know, it, it, it the more time you spend focusing new players on like, OK, you know, not just why you're an adventure in general, but what are the specific things that have made you, you know, an adventurer like what exactly is it that you need really getting getting really nitty gritty about it and then incorporating other things where it's like okay well you've said this you know why do you need other people to succeed uh, i just think like those are the sort of things as a dm when i'm approaching it just really trying to you know narrow people's focus and not have it be general where it's like oh well my dad's over here and my mom's over there and you know i was on a boat for a little bit and now i'm not really really being you know, specific about, you know, every every sort of part that feeds directly into the storytelling is really important. And that way you can have, you know, uh, a full page of everyone in your town and what their names are and who they are, because the reason why you're on the adventure is really specific. Yeah, 100%. And it's it's always like a pain when you've got a group that don't have a reason to be together and it's Mm -hmm. kind of like well we're only together Mm -hmm. because we have to be for the game if there was a if there's a reason in the story it feels more natural so that that always helps and like i've got players who i've got uh, sam and phoebe are playing siblings currently i've had players who in a game that i ran didn't know they were connected but i said to them before would you like to be connected to someone else do you want to find out like along the way that Mm -hmm. there's maybe some backstory crossover and it turned out that Wesley and Joe's characters, um, Wesley's uh, like lifelong friend was the murderer of Joe's brother because he was Amazing. bribed. Like, and there's th- and then there's this like this awesome interaction about like what they're going to do with this person and like Wesley's character morals about whether that person should be punished or not. And like you get these these fun interactions. So having that that depth, while it can be daunting, can I mean, the, the work pays off is what I'm trying to say, I think. Um, I think it's definitely true. It, it is this weird thing where it's like the most work that you have to do is at the very beginning. And mm. that sort of sets up everything else. And it and it just sort of you kind of as a DM, you sort of have to like do all that sort of annoying stuff where it's like, I need you to write more about this. I need you to th- think more about this. I need you to be more specific about this. But it it stops it from later on being like, wait, I don't understand this campaign. I don't understand my campaign character i don't understand why we're doing any of this you know it sort of <laughs> keeps that illusion together because there is that moment that i feel like so many people have experienced i know i i've experienced where it's like wait like i'm playing in a fantasy world i think i just want to like go home and have some potato chips like i don't yeah. want to keep risking my life that's what i would do right so you really have to like force you know really back your your players into a corner where they really, really feel a very strong and important need to kind of move forward or accomplish something or solve some sort of problem. Mm, Yeah. And I think sometimes it can be a blessing to get that player who's like, I don't have any uh, any idea for backstory. I want to play a character Mm -hmm. who's woken up and doesn't know who they are. Can you write it? Like, sometimes that's a blessing. (laughs) Sometimes it's the absolute worst thing in the world. (laughs) But yeah, well, they have to have a lot of trust in you because you're like, well, you're basically just letting me build a new like campaign story hook around you. So you better like this. Yeah, because if you don't, then you're tough. You're on it. Um, Yeah. And and I think that's that's good for groups who have been playing for a long time like wes and i did that quite recently and and he's 
he has no idea what's going on with Brom, but he's enjoying it. He's enjoying like <laughs> discovering it. He said, I woke up, I've got this mark on me. It, I hear fungus talking to me and I've gone to the city because that's where they tell me to go. You can do the rest. I was like, great, cool wonderful and of course um, you know nobody's doing that better than matt mercer in, in campaign yep. two right now it's mm-hmm. just it's out of control how good he is at that kind of stuff but then again it can also be a curse when a player says hey i'm i have this extensive family tree here's all of their names mm-hmm. and all of their histories and you go oh, where am i gonna put these people i know um, and then and it is this weird thing you know where it's like as a dm when you get something like that you're like there's no way that I'm going to be able to role play these characters that matches your imagination. Yeah. You know, you've sort of like spent so much energy and time imagining your whole family tree and what each person is like. But the reality is, is like, I'm going to do a good job with two of them, an okay job with another two. And then the other, you know, six you wrote are just going to be like, hi. You know, it's like, it, <laughs> I don't have so, a voice. <laughs> yeah, you've you've kind of done yourself almost a disservice by, you know, writing, spending so much time and energy imagining them because it actually doesn't leave a lot of room for other people, other players, for the DM to bring their own imagination to it. Yeah, I think, I have you ever watched any of the Acquisitions Inc. games? Yeah, I have. So my one of my favorite ones is one of the early ones where... Uh, Chris takes the party to Jim's family home and he meets mm-hmm. all of his relatives. And I remember, I don't know whether it was like an interview or like a video somewhere. Chris said, oh, I, I literally said to to him, like, I'm just going to make it up and go along and you just go play along with it. He's like 100%. <laughs> and I love that. It's one of my favorite games. Like just watching, watching um, them like bounce off each other, but improvise the, the interactions and just like rolling with it. That's like, I'd, I want to do that. Like I want to be that player in that situation with that DM. Um, mm-hmm. And like I, I had a, a flip of it where I had to DM in the end of Dragon Heist when the players were saying goodbye because they were about to go and fight the Xanathar and they thought, you know, we might not live, rightfully so. Um, James's character was like, I'm going to go see my mum and dad. And I think we'd seen them like once before in the whole campaign. <laughs> They'd been going on for like two years. And I'm like frantically flipping through my notes. Like, do I have anything on these two gnomes that right, run a bookshop? Right. Did they even have a name? Like, who, what were I they I don't again? think they did, you know? I, I, I honestly don't. But I... I was like, right, I'm just going to go with it. I'm just going to trust my instinct and role play them the way I think James wants them to be. And I said to him, right. after, like, were they okay? And he's like, yeah, they were spot on. They were perfect. It's just how I imagined them. <laughs> Suddenly they're like frantically wiping the sweat off my brow. <laughs> so it can be stressful. Like either way can be really stressful. And you just kind of have yeah. to find that trust, I think, with with the, the player or the DM that, that you're putting in that position. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one one other helpful thing that I think comes up a lot in D&D are the D&D gods. Mm. And I think that's like, you know, almost in a pure lore sense. If your character or, you, you know, if you're like, well, I know I want to play a religious character. I w- know I want to play some sort of like spiritual character. Spending some time going through all the different wiki art. You know what I always do? I'm like... I'm like, well, like, tell me some traits of, you know, this person and and what they're connected to their God. And it's like, well, I think they're, you know, sort of a pacifist or I think they, you know, are humble and just doing like a command F and just, you know, searching those words. And inevitably on one of these, you know, long lists of D&D gods, you'll find the associated God. And then, 
reading the lore on, you know, like Ilmater or, you know, whatever crazy gods you can find, Eldath, you know, mm. it, it can help really inform like, oh, like, here's all this like deep history that I don't have to write. I don't have to c- create it, but I can just pull some sort of character ideas of like turning the other cheek or like pacifism through nature. And I can just sort of incorporate that into my overall idea and, and my connection to like, you know, whatever deity is sort of powering me. I think that can be a really useful way to sort of fill in some of the gaps that it's like, well, you know, I don't really know quite who this person is if you can kind of spend a little bit of time doing a dive into whatever you know wikipedia or forgotten realms wiki uh, on a god it can really just help fill in uh some character stuff and it can also fill in some flavor text you know having Mm -hmm. three or four different names for your god can really just suddenly make it feel like oh no like i know this thing you know i know what my church is called i know the different names that we call our god and i I think that can just help sort of ground you in the world as well yeah definitely um i i gods in dnd is like one of the hardest things for me i've always found i don't know why i've always found them like the most difficult thing to to make feel mm-hmm. lived in and like <clears throat> oh croaky voice um <laughs> like lived in go. and like you know just believable um yeah and I, I don't know maybe it's because that's like the the next level for me is like how do i how do i put a an all-powerful being <laughs> in this game yeah. without feeling a bit ridiculous but the the fun yeah. the fun side of it for me is is making the clergy effectively and yeah and like their their tenants that they follow and having players learn those i had a, a player get really into the church of lathander um mm-hmm. in in Waterdeep and like researching that and kind of like He's like, I'm going to go to the church today. I'm like, okay, here's what you find. And then we had Gond in, in TOA and mm-hmm. doing it one at a time makes it a lot more um, uh, manageable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it is crazy once you go onto these wiki articles and you're just like scrolling through and it's just like pages of information. It's like, wow, you know, on the one hand, it's like, man, there's no way I can synthesize all of this information. It's like mm. from four different editions and some of the drawings from like, you know, first edition gods are like, I can't show this to a player. They'll, you know, crumple <laughs> it up and be like, I'm quitting d forever. But yeah. on the other hand, like somebody has done a ton of work for you already, both as a player and a DM, you know, somebody has like really done all this work for you. So if, you know, a player is like, you know, tell me more, or I want to know this, or I want this to be true. You can sort of pick and choose from this and and craft and build it to your liking. Mm. I think there's a lot of pressure, especially for uh, newer DMs or DMs who have got into D&D because they've been watching games and things where they, mm. they think, oh, I, I need to make my own world and I need it to be uh lived in and realistic and full and and mm-hmm. have an answer for everything but that is such a, a long process you don't do that overnight i mean i've got half-baked worlds and i've got worlds that have you know need to need to have ingredients put in them before they go in the oven i but an actually fully done like world that's 100 percent never i'm never going to have that because it's always changing right. and if right there, there is no shame in in finding something somewhere else and going do you know what that's great i love that i'm going to use it because if you see something you go i love that but i can't use it because it's not mine it's not original you're never going to get anywhere totally totally mm. we went down a bit of a rabbit hole there but it was a good <laughs> rabbit hole it's it was one that was worth exploring i think
<laughs> Absolutely. Well, look, this has been a lot of fun, and I could uh, continue talking to you for hours, but the um, the time difference will not allow it. So uh, <laughs> thank you so much for jumping on and having a chat with me today. Um, uh Thank you for having me, Ben. I, I hope it was helpful. I hope it wasn't just me blabbing on dryly about, you know, character action and decisions and blah, blah, blah. So I hope it, I hope it helped one single person for one single moment out there. Mate, I think that every single week. It's fine. That, that, <laughs> okay, that, good. that worry never goes away. <laughs> okay, good. Um, All right, good. This is the part of the show where I ask you to shamelessly plug yourself and tell us about where we can find you and what you are doing. You know, I'm doing so little these days that I don't feel a lot of shame plucking myself because it's <laughs> just me sitting around my house, which is amazing. But you can follow me on Twitter at N underscore A underscore K. Uh, that's kind of where I've got all my D&D and um, Star Trek stuff. And, you know, if you want the weekly updates from our home game, uh, follow Anthony Rapp on Twitter. I think he's albino kid on twitter i think that's his handle but he mm. kind of posts a weekly update with images and stuff and it's very fun uh and mainly follow keep a lookout you know we're we're trying to or we're in the process of getting a uh, a charity one shot going hopefully partnered with wizards of the coast and with cbs and all this good stuff so it would be great to you know see some friends there you can watch me do a really bad job dming while i sweat profusely because <laughs> i'm so nervous anybody is watching me and then hopefully raise some money so that should be coming down the pipeline some point in the future yeah super excited about that i will definitely be keeping my eyes open for any news um most likely on Twitter, because it's where I spend most of my time. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, look, thank you very, very much again. Um, as ever, if you want to get involved with the show, we are we speak common at hotmail.com on the email. We speak common.com for all of the links of all of the things and at we speak common on Twitter. And if you want to support the show in any way, uh, the Patreon is probably the best way to do it, which is all in the the podcast description below on every single platform so go and have a look there uh, if that's something you want to get involved with you do get access to a a very lovely and growing discord server where we talk about lots of behind the scenes things and actually uh, there is a new book that i am penning coming out soon to patreon subscribers so hopefully by the end of february there'll be something new on there for you too if not just sharing the podcast does more than you know so cheers bud um, Noah, thank you very much again. I, I'm sure we will chat again because it's been a lot of fun. Well, thanks for having me, Ben, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to listening next week. I can't wait, man. <laughs> Lovely. You have a wonderful <laughs> rest of your day. <laughs> you too, Ben. Thanks for listening today. If you like the show, do us a favor. Leave us a like and review on your platform of choice and share us with your friends. Send us to your fellow DMs and players so that we can build our community even more. It really helps to get us out in front of more eyes. If you want to support the show, you can by joining our Patreon. Links can be found in the show description and the episode descriptions on all platforms. The music in the podcast is Street Dancing by Timecrawler82. It's licensed under a Creative Commons license by NC. You can find it on the Free Music Archive. Free Music Archive.